Welcome to the Steven Universe podcast, the official fan podcast of Cartoon Network's Steven Universe. My name is Mackenzie Atwood. I'm going to be your host, and I'm a huge fan of Steven Universe. I was asked to come out to Burbank, California this summer and get the chance to talk with the crew themselves one-on-one and get the chance to look behind the scenes of Steven Universe and break it down for everyone. So this summer, we're going to be coming at you from the Steven Universe writer's room where the magic happens and interviewing all kinds of guests. We're going to be talking to storyboard artists, designers, musicians, and of course, since it's episode one, I have here with me today, Rebecca Sugar and Steven Sugar. Rebecca Sugar is the creator of Steven Universe, and Steven Sugar is her brother who inspired the main character and also works as a background artist on the show. Thank you guys so much for being here today. All right, guys, let's jump right into it. So so what were you guys like when you were growing up? Like, what kind of shows did you watch and what were you into? Oh my gosh! Well, we played a lot of a lot of video games together. I think when we were, when we were younger, I was the one playing them. At a certain point, I started just drawing all the time. Then I'd be watching you play video games. And it was like I loved Yoshi's Island, and then when Ocarina of Time came out, that's like all we were doing for for a while. And show, I mean, we watched a lot of anime. Um, we watched a lot of cartoons together. We had like a tradition. Of like watching Detective Conan and eating these off-brand goldfish. Yeah, we would record, day record the night school. before on Adult Swim, and then uh, after school the yeah. next day we would uh, watch an episode. Yeah, it was like this ritual. Yeah, when I was like a senior in high school, um, we'd like eat dolphins and friends and watch Detective Conan. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we watched Utena together. That was big. For yeah, you still didn't watch that. I mean, I think. That, on our bootleg One Piece DVDs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had these One Piece DVDs that had these just um, just typo-riddled subtitles that barely made sense. But it was kind of like piecing a, uh, together a puzzle. Because <laughs> um, like, certain words would, would be actually be other words, and everyone's names would be different. They called Usopp Liar Boo. And sometimes Luffy was just Roof. Uh, and they would. Uh, I, this is. Just, no, I don't want to. No, no. <laughs> Something else. I don't, don't want to. I don't want to like complain about these. They were. It was great. I mean, I was obsessed with One Piece. It adds another layer of like interaction. You have to figure out what's going on. You know. Yeah, there was a whole. There was a whole arc where they were trying to ring a bell, but instead of ring, they said null, and instead of bell, they said clock. So like, we have to know the clock. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> I think anyway, it was something like that. This was a long time ago. Um, it was like a whole uh, another level trying to figure out what it meant. Well, I, sh- I should have just been reading the comics, which is what I eventually <laughs> did. I just I got impatient and I switched to the comics. Yeah, it sort of showed up a lot in the show. I think the the influence from from anime. You guys have talked about that a lot too, and video games too. How do you think the show would be different if you didn't have those influences? Like, what do you think it would be? It would look like to me the the core of the show is like the feeling of us growing up together. So I think if those weren't our influences, whatever they were would be what the show is and feels like. Hopefully it would still, as long as we were being excited about something, it would probably still have that end, end feeling sort of at home. It would probably still have a similar feeling, but a lot of different kind of paraphernalia, that a different kind of pastiche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a couple of siblings too, and so we're, you know, we grew up together and we were always... Um, we did everything together, so like I totally understand the the impact. Like, what do you guys think that like individually would be different if you guys weren't siblings? You know, it's it's really hard to imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's t- I know it's <laughs> tough. Like, I feel like um, 
there's just stuff that I learned, you know, from like, I feel like one of my siblings taught me a lot about compassion, you know, and the other one taught me like about being spontaneous or something. So like, do you guys, do you guys have anything like that? Well, I think growing up, I would always look to Rebecca's art when I was trying to draw and, and I would take a lot from what she was learning and, uh, we'd sort of collaborate a lot and, and share our thoughts and critiques and that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if I would have continued to pursue art nearly as much as I did if I didn't have some sibling support going forward with that. Right. Yeah. I was really excited when you were like getting into comics and, and drawing and stuff. I, what is it? There was some story where it's like, cause you were obsessed with trains when you were little. I was. This, <laughs> it was like, you're, you're really into trains and then you were starting to draw and we all thought your first drawing would be a train. And then it was like an apple tree. I don't remember that. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's nice. I, too. What I remember is, I really like trains. Then I saw Back to the Future Three, and I thought, oh, that train exploded. That's really cool. And then I started getting into uh, science fiction. I think that was sort of the turning point for me. Uh, it, it was trains, Back to the Future Three, and then Star Wars. And then for a long time, trains. Were the I was dream. just like copying drawings of Star Wars ships. Uh, uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. You were super good at that. I think our th- our thing was sort of Stephen's really good at drawing ships and drawing sort of like architectural everything, and then I was drawing a lot of characters. Well, that's um, exactly how it ended up. Yeah. yeah that's that's, crazy. that's Still, what we do. Yeah. That's awesome. So, like, when you were making the show, they approach you. You're working on Adventure Time, right? Mm-hmm. And they uh, are just like, "Will you just pitch a show to us?" Was it your first thought? You were like making it about Steven, like just centering it around that idea of like growing up with, with your, your brother? Like, was that the... Yeah, that was, well, I mean, having worked on Adventure Time, I knew just how big something like this could become mm-hmm. and how many years and years and years and how much love and energy I might end up pouring into this project if it actually happened. So I was like, it's got to be something that I really care about. And... I knew I wanted it to be personal. I think I sort of learned from Adventure Time. They're really encouraging when it came to putting a lot of myself in the stuff that I was boarding and being honest about it and sort of treating it like poetry instead of like a commercial cartoon, which really stunned me because I, I had been studying and really wanting to do something that was very commercial. And then now that I was there, it was like, you know, oh, be honest. Like, what do you, what do you want to do with this? Uh, world and these characters that's really coming from you and I'm sort of like oh <laughs> I, right. I you know I don't know so I, I was really starting to think about that so with all that in my mind going into this I thought you know I want to do something that I could never get sick of working on you know that I would always love to work on and I'd been doodling pictures of Steven since we were little kids some yeah. <laughs> some kinder than than others really <laughs> uh yeah you know but mostly they're they're cute and I did animations of you yeah and... you had that that student film uh mm-hmm. with me and Franz in it and, and then uh there's that comic idea you had uh, I still think about that I didn't like, we haven't talked about this in years something about uh was it like turtlenecks or something I yeah it was <laughs> okay wait no I've been thinking about this because it's feels relevant again because it had something to do with a character that was based on me, and there was some magic element. In it was it. some sort of like academy where you would go and st- this. I have not said this out loud, and I've, it's weird because I've been thinking about this a lot and I haven't been talking about it. I had some comic idea where it was like some sort of academy where you would go and study how to like channel your your internal power, and mainly the thrust of it was that it had to come from some sort of extreme confidence in in knowing some sort of truth and being right about something. Uh, and then the main character who was going to be you or based on you, the thought would be that 
they weren't really sure what was or wasn't right. Um, and then they end up drawing all of their strength and power from confidently being able to say, you can never really know anything for sure. And being so sure of that, that it actually imbued him with incredible power. Because I think it's really the only thing that you can actually be completely sure of, probably. It's like the only absolute truth or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was an old idea. I never even... And there was some guy who was like... One of the characters was just like, I think turtlenecks are great, and they're coming back. <laughs> and, and that was where they drew all of their strength. That was like the turtleneck yeah. thing. And then other people would be like, no, but he was just so sure that it would create an explosive right. power. But it's still like the... like. It shows some of the stuff that came into to the Steven Universe. Like, it, I, that's what I'm hearing, is like, you're talking about like powers that stem from emotions, right? And mm-hmm. And just the core of, you know... Steven, right? Like that's just that's what I'm hearing is this that's really cool and it it seems like it'd be tough to develop like an idea. I get why you would start with Steven. Like I think that's awesome, but like, you know, thinking from that and then going all the way to what's, you know, all this backstory and lore about like the gems and everything and it's like how do you start with something personal and like develop it out to, you know, this big crazy world that you have created? Well, starting from Steven from there, I sort of branched out to just pulling together a pastiche of everything we sort of absorbed together. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was drawing a lot from the games that we played, so like Ocarina of Time. The visual style is very Yoshi's Island inspired, too. And there's like a sort of Mario component to Steven. Um, Nintendo, we were Nintendo kids. And then just the books that I was reading and the, and the shows that we were watching and you know, but also always sort of coming down to I think I think the thing about it is like we were into all of this sort of escapist stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, we were still really good friends. So even though we were enjoying all of, all of that stuff, it wasn't like I, I I didn't have to feel like I was sort of running away from from my own life at home, which I also really liked. I think that's so so it's sort of like pulling together just that that stuff, but then grounding it in the fact that we were watching it together, we were playing it together, that that's sort of the feeling I wanted that that would connect all of those disparate ideas. And then when the crew got bigger, I started looking to them, too, to just be like, you know, what were you into? What did you like? Mm -hmm. Why did you like it? What was it sort of... Why was it filling this need for you when you were that age? And what was it making you realize that you hadn't thought of without this catalyst, you know? So it's like keeping all of those all of those pastiche elements, like grounding them always in something that made them personal to us, figuring out what that was, why it resonated in that way, and then reinterpreting it where that's just already built in. That's already a part of it for the characters and who they are. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm so excited to have you guys here. Uh, and we still have to talk about, I want to talk about more of how the show developed and uh, want to get back to that right after this. Guys, we're back. We're here with, uh, still here with Rebecca and Stephen. And the the one thing I want to ask is like some of the most helpful pieces of advice you got from people during development when you were creating. You were talk. We talked about you creating this idea stemming out from Stephen. Like, what did people contribute to that? Like in the early stages. Oh my gosh. Well, right around the time I was starting to work on it, I was I worked briefly on Hotel Transylvania, and I got a chance to talk with. Uh, Gendy Tartakovsky, and he gave me right. a bunch of really excellent advice. And at that point, the idea was a lot more complicated. There was, uh, it used to be that the gems would sort of disguise themselves when they went to walk around in town. They had this sort of double life where they would be sort of 
they would sort of turn into their gem selves. Gotcha. Um, there would be more like a transformation element to it, which is, of course, a, a sort of magical yeah. real staple. And all this other noodly stuff about their relationship with like local government and things that sort of <laughs> yeah. have come have massaged their way back into the show. Like, but we kind of you know it's not built into the premise where it's right. you know it, where it's super important or anything. But I think the thing that talking to him really changed is that he he was like boil this down, simplify this. Like, you know, if the point is that they're in- incredible and he's trying to catch up with them, then that is that is the thrust of the of the show. Um, and early on that was a big part of it and that was very simple and it's sort of I think that because I learned from him to to really simplify it it allowed us to grow to that place where it was so complex without starting there which I think I, I was ready to kind of start there but I think you really need to put one stone down at a time to walk across it that has just really helped my thinking I also had just an awesome talk with uh, Mike Mignola of Hellboy gave me some great advice early on. I, t- I was telling, I've, I'd seen him at conventions, and, and one of the things that I used to do is, I'm from independent comics, so I would print out my comics and, and bring them to small conventions, and I met a lot of comic artists that way. And so I, I knew Mike Mignola a little bit. Um, that's also how I met Eric Powell, who gave me my first job in comics. He does a comic called The Goon, which I just love. So uh, Mike Mignola invited me over to his studio. I was sort of stunned and, and I came by. He was working on Hellboy in Hell. Can I say hell? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just said it several times. Um, and he, was, he handed me these pages of, of Hellboy in Hell in progress. I was just like shaking. Like, oh, there's beautiful. Right. And, um, and I was asking because he knows so much about mythology. Uh, well, first off, I wanted to know, like, how does, how do you make these little pieces of symbolism feel like they have so much gravity and he was just talking about just repeating imagery and and having it you know that like a certain flower which means a certain thing um you know seeing it growing seeing it on the see it on a wall like understanding that it has this presence that it has this relevance and i was talking to him about the the show i think one of the first things he said when i when i described to him what the show was going to be like he was like oh it's would they really make this i'm like i don't know <laughs> uh, but I'm going to try. And uh, I was like, there's, you know, there's, I want to have a lot of sort of goddess-related imagery and have this feeling that there's this incredible power behind these characters. And I, and I want to know how to, like, pull from things that already feel like they have this weight and this power. Like, I want to know more about mythology. And he, and he pulled out this huge book, set it down and opened it up. And he's like, well, you, what you want is Ishtar. She's the goddess of pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> and he opens up this book to this chapter about Ishtar and a lot of... I think at this point, Stephen didn't even have a star on his shirt. And the thing about Ishtar is that she relates to war and love and passion and just everything. Really everything. Really yeah. everything. Um, she has a star for a crown. She rides in a chariot pulled by seven lions. Um, so lion imagery and star right. imagery. She relates to like the taming of beasts in a way that's sort of both positive and negative. It's really interesting. And a lot of imagery came from that. A lot, the, a lot of the um, star imagery and lion, lion imagery. Although some of that was already there because I have a, I have a cat named Lion, so there was always going to be like lions. But I think it was sort of exciting to be like, oh. And then we have stuff later in the show. It's like seven lions. Anyway, it's because yeah, of, yeah, I remember that. Star. Yeah, that's sort of the. It all started with Ishtar. There, there she. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So um, after talking with him, I started just experimenting with drawing a lot of symbols and trying to symbolism that would 
we just repeat often enough for, and imbue with, with meaning. I started to think about that a lot. And it was, you've done a ton of that in the world building of the show, Stephen. Yeah, I think once we started really developing, especially the, the gem locations, uh, it, it became a, a sort of chain reaction of we had the source material of what you had created for the pilot and, and for sort of the, the show Bible in our early, um, you know, where we knew the show was going. And then we had a whole crew. So once we were working with Kevin Dart uh, when he was art directing and, uh, you know, we had our background staff and our paint staff. And uh, it was a lot of sort of collaboration of trying to achieve certain feelings. And I, I think that kind of, you know, every step led to another of finding certain architecture and certain imagery that just seemed to work with what you had set down at the beginning. And, you know, I think for that first season especially, it was like just pushing that as far as we could uh, until we started approaching more of the gem lore and, and homeworld and all that kind of stuff when we started integrating our own new symbols right. into it. Right. Uh, yeah, I know you and you have a lot of theories about their language, and Sam invented some of it too. Right? Yeah, it started with uh, Sam Bosma's gem language at oh, yeah, the original the, like Sword the Arena. Um, yeah. yeah, which we then adapted when we redesigned the arena. And that sort of has gone off in its own direction to lay groundwork, yeah, for, for their language and their symbols and all the way yeah. that works. Yeah, I know uh, all your theories. You, yeah. can, you can tell, like, which area of the kindergartens on Homeworld, like, who they belong to. It's written on the walls. Yeah. If you know how to read it. Yeah. Oh, my but you gosh. Can't, yeah. That's so cool. I'll, I'll never tell. Yeah. People, like, like yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of people, like, theorizing about it, and it's like... Oh, these crazy people looking at these symbols on the wall. But it's real. It's real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, so cool. I figured that we always see everything from Stephen's perspective. And Stephen doesn't understand gem language. Right. So the audience can't. Because if the audience could understand the gem language, then they would understand something that Stephen doesn't. And right. that would break right. That's that part of the show. So there is a, a theory behind how it works. But it has to be... Right. Uh, we'll do a whole... We'll just do like, it, a, yeah. like a muzzy... <laughs> Let's just do a whole educational episode where you where we what teach Stephen to read language, to yeah. read gem language. Yeah. I I think that that's one of the coolest parts of the show to me is the that's what got me into it. I think a lot is that it starts out as it it just totally makes sense the way that it develops the world building because like you said it's from Stephen's perspective and as it goes on Stephen's learning more and the audience is learning with him it just makes Stephen that much more relatable as a character too. I think a whole wide audience like. Like, I, I think I told you my, my grandma started watching Steven Universe, and she has, like, her notebook full of the lore and stuff, and she's, like, got a list of the Homeworld gems and everything, and, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, I so Yeah, yeah. So, like, what do you guys think when you see these, like, uh, fan theories and stuff like that about the show? What do you guys, are you guys, like, ooh? <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I mean, well, I, sometimes I'm like, oh, they... They got They're it. right. Yeah. <laughs> I won't say when, but okay. you know, I, oh, it was really fun early on with all the garnets of fusion theories because there's a ton of oh, evidence. Right. You know, we wanted there to be a ton of evidence. I actually drew in fusion cuisine when you when you see them, their silhouettes for a second. I, I, I drew that in you yeah, on that, that frame. Yeah, I, it was really fun because people found it, but they couldn't. They didn't know yeah. what was like sapphire's hair. Like, they were just like, happening? this is a, some sort of yeah. shape. And yeah, Ruby's. I think some people thought Ruby's headband was sort of like little like arms that were happening or it was like it was clearly something i've been i've been thinking about thingness a lot 
when you can tell something is like a thing, but you can't tell what the thing. <laughs> yeah, is. but you yeah. know because it's just got, it's full of thingness, right? Um, yeah. Th- so the fun thing for me about the Garnet theories was that people got so used to it that they got bored of it and they didn't like it. They were like, oh, but that you know, if Garnet's two gems, then we won't have Garnet anymore. Like right. every, nobody had the ingredient where they actually just it was really simple. They it just was, want to be yeah. together. <laughs> it was like. Uh, yeah, people got <laughs> got sick of it. I thought people were saying like um like stuff about them being like mortally injured or something. They had to stay few. There was like so many different mm-hmm. like theories about that kind of thing. I didn't even I hadn't started watching this show at that point, and so like I sort of when I started watching, I went back and saw just all the fandom stuff and like sort of absorbed it all and all the the in jokes and stuff like. Um, Fusion is a cheap tactic to me, you know, like, like, so this is what Homeworld thinks. There's so many in-jokes and stuff like that. It's yeah, so, so, it's so bizarre, because I just, I remember, like, writing those things on a sticky note in this room and putting them yeah. up on the wall. And now they're a thing. And now they're, like, yeah, memes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's I love that. totally bizarre. I remember when Sne- Sneeple took off for a hot second. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> change. It's cool. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I had, I had surreal. seen people online saying get yourself the snake church and i didn't realize that that was coming from us because i like, believe that i still is don't believe coming from, from yeah is, is, i think is i think snake church I, I, I tried to find the origin because i wanted to know where snake church came from and i think i, I it led me back <laughs> to just, sneeple and i was like oh but that's us take and me to snake I, church. I found it uh, i'm really alarming. Oh, i'm really curious that yeah i don't know and that yeah it's i wonder i don't want to i feel kind of vain too where i'm like this, this was this we, could, we couldn't have invented we Snake can't. Church. No, <laughs> like, no, what a what a what a huge claim <laughs> to try. And, I don't know. I don't know. I, it seems impossible, but the the whole thing seems impossible. Okay, cool. Yeah, I want to talk more about this uh, right after this, guys. Um, so we'll be right back. So we left off talking about uh, <laughs> some fan theories, and uh, what, uh, one thing I really liked was when I, you guys made the short about, like, the reaction video short about oh. the yeah Stephen um, reacting to the crying right. reference. So meta, I loved that. Well, it's because we loved. Um, there was a very specific reaction video to Jailbreak that we just loved. Gotcha. Because he was so psyched. I love watching those two, especially just the one moment. The, the moment when they find out Garnet's a fusion. I have so many people who have indoctrinated into Steven. Like, I just like sitting there looking over at them like expectantly while they realize Garnet's a fusion. And then they're like, what? You know? I, <laughs> that moment is what I live for. That's, that's uh, the whole reason yeah. that I introduced it to them in the first place for that specific moment. <laughs> that's great. It's, yeah. I only have so many things in my back pocket. I feel like I felt similarly about people didn't know that paired out small small and i was like yeah i was waiting for that and so like there were like you know it was a run of paired episodes where we could not choose an image with paired in it because i really didn't want anyone to see you know her see her i yeah um, without her lemon hansers and what we pick is not always what people see anyway but we try on Mm -hmm. on our end and that one that one it was true i think lapis i remember the day uh, Ocean Gem came out. I think earlier that day, an image of Lapis got out. But I was like, oh, we made it to the day. So it's the day of. We were just going yeah. strong. Yeah. It was funny. I saw the 
the one log line I remember from like every episode of Steven Universe that I remember one and it's catch and release mm-hmm. and the log line is like about we finally see what the inside of Steven's bathroom looks yes! like and I was yes! like that's hilarious uh, that's you just, just toying with people yeah. that's hilarious well, it, but it's not untrue and I that's the thing I always want to tell the truth <laughs> it's true I it never is true. want to lie yeah. I, I love I think it's fun to see the reaction for stuff like that and like like hit the diamond where mm-hmm. the episode title was you know hit the diamond people were like I can't believe Steven is going to personally punch yellow diamond in the face in <laughs> this episode you know like I didn't like, even know if that would if that one would even work <laughs> the one that surprised me was last one out of beach city oh yeah um, because that was based off a song lyric that or a or a song that that Ben was referencing and, yeah. and um, I didn't even think about how like apocalyptic people that sounded so- um, I guess, it, and rising tides, crashing skies, but that one was sort of clearly <laughs> sounded important. But um, tongue in cheek, yeah. yeah. The last one out of Beach City, I think that people were so happy with just the entire episode that it didn't matter. They were like, "This is, you know, Beach City world ending. That's one thing, but you know, Pearl wearing a jacket. That's what I live for. Honestly, that's what I. That's what I wake up in the morning for. I was super excited <laughs> to because I, um, Mike Kroll is a friend of mine, and I just love. I love his music, but I also love those two songs, and I really right. wanted a chance to, like, to animate stuff to them. Yeah, um, and especially fifteen minutes. I just really, that's really that's like really it. cool. Yeah, I see a lot of the time um, when I I look at the animatics and stuff that I see that you guys use other songs mm-hmm. to animate too, and then you change it out and you make uh, with the, the like you make an original soundtrack. Um, so it must have been crazy like for that episode in particular using the song f- to animate it and then you knew that that was actually going to be yeah it's always the- preferable I mean I, I think it was more like you know when we do demos because then we're timing things out right. the way we want them to be knowing that it's final and when we temp stuff in it's because we want the general feeling and we you know we want things to hit on a certain beat and I think it's it's always better when we're doing stuff to music because that's just such a traditional way to make cartoons I mean mm-hmm. with the click track with music it's AMVs. Oh. <laughs> like much, I'm talking about like Looney Tunes. Yes, I forget what you're saying. Looney uh, Tunes AMVs when? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, super, super early cartoons were uh, basically advertisements for popular music. And right. that's what makes them so exciting, I think, still to watch because they're so driven by that music. I, I love, like, one of my favorite cartoons of all time is uh, the Fleischer Betty Boop Snow White, which is just awesome. Uh, it's so good. And there's a point where Coco the Clown kind of turns inside out into this ghost that <laughs> is rotoscoped to Cab Calloway's dancing. <laughs> and they sing St. James Infirmary while Betty was being carried away in a glass coffin. And it's just, the sequence is just awesome. I remember the first time I saw it, I was blown away. Cause it's so cool looking. And I'd never thought of using rotoscoping it with a character that looks so inhuman. So it has this really uh. interesting effect. Anyway, I love that cartoon. I recommend it. <laughs> I also love Betty Boop MD. That one's really strange. We actually kind of referenced that one in Adventures in Light Distortion because oh, there's yeah. a point where everyone shrinks down small and gets really tall. Yeah. And they're, they're all taking this medicine that's like doing horrible things to, to them. Gotcha. But it's also like a placebo. And it's, it's a, the cartoon is very strange. But it just ends with everybody changing and changing and changing and old people turning young and young people turning old and it's chaos it's really cool yeah that that uh, adventures in light distortion that was a wild ride (laughs) but it was fun i like that um there's one of the big things that a lot of fans talk about with uh and i'm you know you talk about this to no end is just the representation in the show i think it's something that i don't it was one of the interviews you said like you you didn't expect the you know just how 
ready people were for that kind of thing and that people were like this is what i've been looking for you know like this is what i've been waiting to see in a cartoon is you know lgbt and um like different body types and you know there's lots of female representation things like that was that like baked into the show when you when you from the outset or what was the i mean it it was because the show is about steven and and growing up i think i didn't really realize it at the beginning necessarily i mean one of the things i think always with my work i've never really done anything autobiographical i've i would avoid really writing about myself um and i think even going into this cartoon it's like i want to write about someone that i'll always want to write about that i'll always love and it's mm-hmm. it's you but it's it wasn't me you know i wanted <laughs> it to be you because i i feel like i'd always you know i'd always been able to sort of hang out with Steven, hang out with you and, and be myself and not have that feel strange. And that wasn't really true around almost everyone else. You know, it was, mm-hmm. that's something that, that I could do at home, hanging out with you and, and only my very, very close friends. And I think because the show was about that and because that had so much to do with why I didn't really feel like I could trust everybody... It's it's part of the show and it's part of how, you know, my life has felt. But because I wanted to focus on only the positive, it's everything positive because that's my relationship with you. Yeah, and I think you always put a lot of emphasis on the idea that everything in the show had to be truthful, had to come from a place of honesty. And I think that kind of representation and that kind of positivity is something that we feel is very true. It's not something we're, you know, just putting in there because... Or, you know, like as an outside thing we're trying to insert into the show, that's part of the truth of our lives and the way yeah. we see the world. And so it's right. that, that's a, a sincerity that's coming into the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, to not have that would be lying, and that's something we avoid. Yeah, I think early on in terms of cartoons, but also just who, who we were as people, like when, when the crew was coming together, I wasn't looking for people who were coming from the same place as me, even in terms of the kind of cartoons they liked. And I wanted the characters to be flexible enough to look totally different when different people drew them. Um, and to be uh, a pastiche of things that we all liked for radically different reasons. And um, I think it was true, not just in terms of the art we liked, but also just what our, what our experience of childhood was like and why the art we liked related to that, which sort of brings me back to what I was saying earlier. But um, I think often you're drawn to art that resonates with you for a reason. And because we all had different reasons, I mean, the show was like a way to just learn so much about the people I was working with and now the people who are watching it, who it's resonating with, but then also just uh, just us. I have a thing where <laughs> I have a thing where when I start a project, I, I always want to learn something uh, about myself by the time I'm done. So I'll often tackle something that I'm not 100% sure I really know the answer to. That's been true sort of everything I've done. Like my, my film I did in college is sort of about being afraid to be alone. So it's just like challenging yourself, yeah, to... Yeah, and trying to, I think, 
sort of like writing like a five paragraph essay, like you finish it and then and then you can go back mm-hmm. and sort of readjust your thesis to, to be what you've realized over the course of writing it. Right. Um, except that I can't do that at all. <laughs> I just have to charge you just ahead. Go with it. Something like this. I mean, growth is so ingrained into the show, both what the show is about, but also making the show. I think, you know, you aren't the person you were when we did season one. I'm definitely not. I don't think we could make a season one episode anymore, not just because you know, we wouldn't want to, but because I don't think, I I think we've changed too much to make those same decisions. Right. Uh, And yeah, that's, that's part of what being part of this crew has been. It's also like growing together and growing from each other's influence. And the, the show as it is now is the byproduct of that collaborative growth which is is perfect because it's such a mirror to what is happening in the show. Right, with Steve. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that was very by design because I thought if if this is a show where we can all learn and grow, the show itself has to be flexible and the show itself should be about growth. Yeah. Um, and I'm, it, it is, it, ha- it has been. Yeah, and that's why it's always been important to have a, a crew of people who are uh, coming from such different places because you can only really grow when you have voices that are that unlike your own that right. yeah, you know learn things from that you don't know yeah. and and can you know give you different opinions and a, a, a different viewpoint on things mm-hmm. it's so crucial the whole thing's been about growing up yeah i think i think that's brilliant i think that like it shows so much in the show like the that you guys have grown up as artists and that you know you're sort of growing alongside steven and all the characters are experiencing change you know pearls definitely not she wasn't it's season one and amethyst and, and garnet and all of them i think that's you know i think that's great i love that so much thank you guys so much for coming uh and and being on the podcast i just appreciate it so much of course. yeah thank you for yeah. having us on yeah thank you Thank you so much to Rebecca and Steven for joining me today. And make sure to join me next Thursday for Zach Callison and Grace Rolek, who voiced Connie and Steven on the show. If you guys have any questions for me, for Rebecca, or anything about the show in general, make sure to hit us up on Twitter. You can find me at MK Atwood, or you can ask the official Cartoon Network Twitter. And make sure to use the hashtag Steven Universe Podcast. And please be sure to subscribe to the Steven Universe Podcast at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. I'm Kinsey Atwood, and I will see you next Thursday. <laughs>